Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, Turtle Box Audio, Costa Sunglasses, Traeger Grills, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we sit down with Yako Lucas and discuss how he went from being a child who roamed the shores of South Africa looking for giant fish to being a guide who has worked internationally in some of the world's most notorious fisheries. Despite how things may come off in his films, in this podcast, Yako shares with us how he's overcome failure and worked through criticism, a part of filmmaking and guiding not always seen, and even shares with us a few tips about chasing GTs and jacks, two of his favorite species to target. We hope that you enjoy this podcast. Thank you for listening. This is The Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. If you have a fly rod in your hand, it's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. Beep, 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 beep. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Hey, Yako, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I've wanted to sit down and learn from you and hear about your story for a long time. So I really appreciate you just carving out some time today just to sit down and talk with us. Uh, Thank you so much, Hunter. Yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, an honor to be on your on your podcast. There's some really amazing people that uh, that I admire um, on the show. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to a cool fishy chat. Yeah. And I have a, a lot of questions, as always, uh, when I sit down with people, especially people like yourself, who you've had a, a wide range of lived experiences and, and travel experiences and guiding and film. But before we get into kind of all the stuff that I think most people know you for, I'd love to hear about what your childhood was like growing up in South Africa. Yeah, look, um, South Africa is is truly. I mean, it's 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 definitely an amazing place, and I feel still very fortunate to grow up in a place like that. Um, you know, uh, I mean, my early earliest memory still, uh, although we didn't live at the coast, um, was uh, my dad kind of taking me out uh, with him. Like literally, we've got photos of me as a baby lying in between his reels while he's fishing. Uh, on the coast um so so i think like i said with all that stuff it it's quite inevitable that the that uh, fishing was going to be going to be, become my passion um but you know south africa um no you see all the stuff on the news and it's a it's it's still a it's still a third world country but i mean it's got the most most amazing climate it's got the most beautiful scenery uh, surroundings it's uh it, it's i mean it's not like a lot of people see it in movies where there's elephants and giraffes walking around in the street it's not it's not exactly <laughs> like that um we've got some amazing wildlife but um you know it's 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 a very it i, I was very lucky to grow up with a fantastic family my my dad was a police officer and my mom was a teacher um and i have a and, and i have a sister and um yeah we're very fortunate very loving family that uh, supported me and uh, grew up and uh yeah just grew up a lot with with fishing around me and that's how i kind of ended up doing what i'm what i'm doing and was fishing something that you kind of grabbed hold of as a kid or was that something that you found later in life so, so um, I, I would honestly say the, the first time that I really realized that I enjoy it um, is uh, the, uh, that I really loved it um, was literally at the age of four where um, when I could actually start w- sort of moving around and walking around and fishing in these little ponds. Um, uh, like w- while my dad was fishing, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a technique of fishing we call rock and surf fishing where you're fishing for basically 
giant everything um, with these 14 foot surf rods, big reels, and you're casting these giant baits in uh, bait in. And you usually that's what we were fishing for. We're fishing with for big sharks. Um, and while my dad was doing that, he was he, he was doing that competitively too. I just remember having a little like a I mean, it was probably like a, a 10 foot piece of line with a small little hook on it. And I found these little slugs um, in between the rocks and you put that on his little bait and you catch these small little fish. And immediately that was something that I, that I enjoyed. So, um, and it kind of progressed there. My, my grandfather also um, loved fishing. Um, he was more from on the, on the freshwater side of stuff. So I'd go and fish, do all the kind of carp fishing and barbel fishing and stuff that, that we also do in South Africa with him. And uh, it all kind of progresses. I think like everybody, um, it kind of progresses from the conventional stuff and then ended up um, uh, just after primary school, sort of when I just got into high school, started doing fly fishing and saw some stuff on TV and didn't even realize the, the opportunities that there were in South Africa for fly fishing um and uh and immediately i mean the, the first trip it was a struggle bus deluxe but uh definitely <laughs> fell in love with it very quickly yeah when you look back at that season of life because it is in a lot of ways so different than what a lot of the listeners experience growing up in what ways did did your geography of where you live shape you into who you are as an angler and captain today you know, I'm, I'm, I feel every single day very fortunate, especially like you said, looking at uh, just looking around today with the with, I mean, the finest example is social media and all that stuff, how people are exposed. Like I feel um, where we grew up, it was probably a very, I wouldn't say naive time because I still was, I, I still kind of grew up towards the end of uh, apartheid, which was a terrible um, thing that happened in South Africa, but everything's much, much better now after a, after a few years and, and things, things are much better now. But, you know, you, you definitely were a lot more sort of attracted to to entertaining yourself in other ways instead of just looking at your cell phone you kind of were, were always trying to find stuff to do outside um mm. and uh and and just do all all that stuff and and not you know you, you kind of figure stuff out on your own and um and it, it was just it was really nice to be detached from from the rest of the world and that day to day just getting fed all this kind of different news whether it's the right news or the wrong news um so that that uh, and and you know I, I I've spoken to a lot of this sounds very harsh but I I, I feel like uh, society or, or a lot of the the world's getting softer at this stage like I mean if I if I was still a little baby and I get cut and you you know or or, or get injured and somehow or something stupid that you did or whichever mm -hmm. way it may be you kind of you 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 just buckle up and you push through it you know um and. Uh, and and that's kind of I think it was it was great just growing up in that time without all the all the stuff that we have now. I, I feel very fortunate. A lot of the technology stuff that's available now is fantastic in a lot of ways, but um, I think uh, I think people are missing the point with certain things these days. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and um, you know I feel like that's a generational thing for a lot of people, but it's definitely a, a cultural thing too. So are you saying that just some of the challenging political things that were happening around you kind of pushed you to try to escape from that by going in the outdoors? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, I, it, it was, uh, I didn't want to do anything else. You know, I, I mean, I still, um, like, like listening to the, to the podcast that you also did with, uh, with Bo, like, you know, I, I feel like I, uh, I also um, still wanted to educate myself through school, mm -hmm. and I mean, it wasn't always the, the the most fun thing to do. I cut a lot of classes in university to go and fish ponds close to our university, and, <laughs> and you know, I did. I yeah. got some terrible <laughs> scores on my first year for sure when I needed to know like, I needed to finish this up if I wanted to mm -hmm. actually go to the next step. But um, you know, I I appreciate growing. Uh, definitely growing up in a place like South Africa with all the stuff going on because I know the hardships that people can go through um, although I was kind of fortunate with a great family around me um, you know I, I see stuff on news now now the, now that I'm living in the US that you know people don't understand how great they have it particularly mm. in, in the US like I mean the stuff is so comfortable there's you, you, people are so privileged on what they have around them but they're trying to still find some stuff to complain about I always mm. tell those people go and live in Africa or South Africa for a year or two and you'll have a 
quick reality check that i mean my my parents were messaging me last night again about power outages and this is how, this is stuff that happens on a daily basis that where you just don't have power you don't have internet they cut like it's it's frustrating stuff but in south africa people kind of deal with that stuff and just move on and mm -hmm. i also think that that's also why it's also um you know when it comes to all the stuff in south africa it, it also again all the stuff i've been looking at in the news uh, I'm trying to avoid it now. The best time is to be on the water when I don't get uh, confronted with any of that stuff. But I'm, when I'm looking at the news, you know, especially in the US, just looking at stuff that's so, so irrelevant that people get fed. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it just seems like like things. Uh, ho hopefully, hopefully we can make people realize through, especially through stuff like this and, and fantastic people telling their stories about what mm -hmm. reality really is and what you need to love and appreciate. Mm -hmm. um and people need to understand that stuff i i always tell people on a daily basis i feel like a ultra boomer like i mean stuff just <laughs> some stuff just doesn't make sense to me anymore yeah no i i i uh i understand that i'm a little younger than you but the world is changing so fast that i think it's hard for a lot of people to keep up with it and one of the things that's fun about hearing people's backgrounds and their stories and how they grew up as a, as a child is that I feel like everybody has these memories or these places in their head that when they're stressed or, you know, they're, they're kind of, they find their mind drifting away from reality and they're reminiscing on their childhood. They think of those memories or places for you. When you think about what made South Africa special to you as a kid, what, what are, what, what is kind of coming to mind? You know, like I also tell this to my wife a lot. Like I I've, been fortunate to be to go to some of the most amazing places on the planet and i'm I've, I've, i feel blessed every single day doing that but my most relaxed state of mind or place that i could be in is literally just walking down our we my my parents have got a little holiday cabin uh, or house um in a, a little town called jeffrey's bay um uh and and it's a it's a it's a very popular surfing town, but that's where I also grew up, uh, rock and surf fishing, and grow grew up learning saltwater and the ocean. Um, but mm -hmm. my best fondest memory when I get most relaxed, like this nostalgic feeling, is just walking down that beach, um, whether it be with my family um, or just kind of cruising around, looking at the ocean, trying to f even just trying to figure out where I probably find some fish. You know, any any mm -hmm. of us any of the people that are as addicted to fishing as much as we are never <laughs> look at a piece of water without thinking what they can catch out of it. But, um, it's, it's, it's a very, like, I, I can't be more relaxed and in, in a, in a great moment than being down, walking down that beach or, um, you know, just being that whole coastline of this, well, the South African coastline, if you drive all the way from Cape town, all the way up, I mean, um, up to Durban, uh, it's just the scenery is beautiful. It's very relaxing. It's it's um, it's it's so awesome. It's it's just such a such a great place to be. And for you, you talked about like after secondary school, that's when you got into fly fishing. But how did you go from being a kid who loved to fish to being somebody who made that their their job? Um, so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, I, I always say that sort of where how you excel in life and where like a lot of people see a lot of stuff where they're like, uh, it's it's that whole thing of um, of uh, uh, um, what's it saying? Um, success, uh, uh, what's overnight success 10 years in the making, I always believe mm -hmm. like where you are, um, if you excel in something, it's a combination of hard work and luck. Um, so what happened is, is I, I mean, I already developed uh, the passion for fly fishing and for fishing. And um, I, I was in universe, I was at that stage in university, and I was in a place called Kidge Beach, close to a place called East London. Um, and I was kind of walking down the beach. And I noticed a guy with a shirt, uh, a shirt on it. It was a Columbia shirt that had Tom, a Thomas and Thomas fly f logo on it. And I already they knew all every single fly fishing brand that you can possibly think of. Um, and just very walked straight up to them and started asking questions. And um, the, it was an older gentleman and his son also came down to the beach and um, which now most people know Keith Rosinas. Um, hmm. Keith Rosinas walked up and um he, he looked a little bit worn because he just had finished the season in russia hmm. um in, in the panoy for for and and i mean those seasons guiding out there are amazing but it involves a lot of 
guiding and a lot of vodka. Um, so you have to try and <laughs> try and uh, try and stay up with the with the Russians is not easy. Um, and uh, and then like I immediately started asking questions and uh, started speaking to to Keith now um, talking to me about how you can make a living out of guiding, which at that stage I couldn't even fathom. I was I was like no way. Um, but at that moment that was exactly what I wanted to do. There wasn't even like, I immediately said like, this is all I want to do. I want to become a fishing guide. Um, but then I also knew that there's got to be a process. You're not just going to jump into it. And Keith kind of explained to me like, go and work in a fly shop. Uh, well, fin first finish your studies. So you've got something to fall back on worst case scenario. Um, and it, it, the, the, it, I think going to university just helps you just stimulate your mind and start mm -hmm. understanding stuff. Um, and then, literally told me go to a fly shop work there for a while and keep sort of in the industry and then go from there mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me um so what i did is is i finished my studies um i then went to the uk because a lot of south africans used to get this what it's called a working holiday where you would have this visa that you get and you could work for like part-time to cover your costs to travel europe um and that's kind of what i did but i didn't travel in i literally went um started working at the fly shop that keith went but i was that like with a lot of that stuff i was quite ballsy i would just go up to them and say like look i'm i'm here to work do you guys have a job for me um and they happened to have a job available for me mm. and they kind of liked south africans because we we we're not scared of hard work um and also because i kind of mentioned to them keith and there was a whole lot i learned that there was a whole array of south africans that um, that not a lot of people know about that worked at the shop and then ended up becoming international mm. guides um and then uh, i worked there for a year um also how it happened to be i met my wife in the uk which it, 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 around that time which was amazing and then after a year i phoned keith up um or sent him an email and said to him look i've got this experience i've met a lot of people um I, I love the fly shop but i would definitely like to step into guiding mm -hmm. i, I sent out a couple of resumes um the first one i actually sent to was to um Pinoy, uh in russia um but yeah i didn't unfortunately get that job mm. um and there was another salmon camp that i wanted to go to didn't get that job and then keith and them said look if you can get to south africa within two or three weeks you're going to fly to cosmolita and the seychelles which kind of that's where the whole the whole story really begins because my first week in Cosmolito guiding didn't know anything really about that area if to be honest um but like first week 373 gts between 10 clients is just i mean wow you you're gonna that's a, a baptism of fire it was completely mm -hmm. nuts like i mean um and <clears throat> like i never really stopped from that point i i always wanted to wear you know, like a lot of guides, especially international guides, um, have the specific seasons and then they work the seasons and then they, you know, what a lot of people, what, what we used to call it, you become guide rich. I mean, you go back home and you just start spending all the money that you made because you save everything um, when you're guiding and then you go and spend everything and then you have to go back guiding. But I wanted hmm. to keep seeing different places. I wanted to keep um, keep staying active the whole time. And then after while in the Seychelles, I managed to get a job in Norway, and then I managed to get a job in Mongolia. And then my seasons just ended up being going to the Seychelles for three months, then going to Norway for three and a half months, mm. uh, doing a little bit of guiding in South Africa, going to Mongolia, and then going back to the Seychelles. So I mean, I had a 320 day guiding year for quite a long time. Wow. Yeah. And, and all during that, were you dating or, or married at the time? Uh, so, so we were, we would, we, we didn't, uh, when I met my wife, we didn't immediately date, but about a year after just keeping in touch, um, we kind of started dating cause she was still in the UK. Um, but she's been awesome. I mean, I've been mm -hmm. super fortunate. Um, we, we, she also came to work with me at some of the lodges. Like she came to work with me in Norway. She came to work with me when I was in Russia. Um, so we did spend some time together, but mm -hmm. we definitely knew how to appreciate each other when we were together. That's for sure. Yeah. And it kind of, you talked about the baptism of fire. Um, and I definitely want to hear more about your, your first week or two in, in Cosmo, but, um, you know, for, for you, you kind of were just thrown into the mix. What did that teach you by just going from, you know, working at a fly shop to traveling the world guiding? 
Um, you, you know, like I, I always would, uh, would just say to a lot of guys, like, I mean, I, I would, if I get an opportunity that's more amazing than anything you can imagine, I, I would never try and just like be like, say, maybe I can't do, it. I, I always just jumped at the opportunity and just figure out along the way. Um, and I mean, getting a job in the Seychelles at the moment too, is like, I mean, it's like finding a, a unicorn. It's, mm -hmm. it's not easy getting the job in the Seychelles. Um, at that stage I knew like, I mean, this is going to be the the best way to start my actual guiding career, um, and uh, so I would always just like I would say yes, and then what I did is is I made sure that I started studying a little bit of the area, what type of fish. Mm -hmm. um, like I mean, I was guiding the Seychelles for four years before I picked up a fly rod to catch any of those species that I was um, that I that I was guiding people into trigger fish, permit, mm -hmm. bonefish, all that kind of stuff. Um, at nighttime, we sometimes snuck around and caught a couple of gts that were around the boat but i didn't really at that stage like see them as i mean those technically kind of were were pets that were just kind of mm -hmm. cruising around and um but uh i i i enjoy um the fact that there's trial and error i think a lot of people these days also don't appreciate failure or criticism um people just can't handle that stuff seems to be i mean i'm talking about mm -hmm. the majority majority there's a select few of people um that 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 is happy to take some criticism and south africans and i'm sure a lot of the guide buddies i know that that's really been doing it for a long time are thick-skinned people i mean mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not scared of somebody calling me on any of my bullshit or vice versa so um it's it's always great the, the best way to learn something is through failure i, de I definitely think so and that's kind of i mean um, on my second week of guiding in cosmolido I had a client tell me that I would never ever make it in the guiding industry and they need to fire me and blah, 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 because they only caught 20 GTs that morning. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, wow. I don't really know what to say about that. And But that stuff fuels me. I, I, mm -hmm. I enjoy it. When somebody tells me I can't do something, that fuels me. Um, and I mean, till to this day, um, guiding in Texas, which a lot of guys still ask me, why are you guiding Texas? But it's, it's a amazing fishery but i'm still also i when i stepped in there i consider myself a rookie i'm not going to come there and beat my chest i still have to learn i still have to earn the respect of all the local guides um you know it's it's those things that's still very important to me that i also i mean i'm, I'm gonna probably sound like the biggest boomer on this whole thing but I, I i do think you have to um respect and all that kind of stuff you know all the old school mm -hmm. stuff that you really have to earn your way into something and and earn people's respect and it's not going to come easy you're going to get a lot of people that think you're dumb and you have to do this it's it's taken me forever to earn the respect of this one particular guy that's down on the texas coast but he's super friendly with me now he still thinks i'm from australia but um he's, he's nice to me <laughs> i bet that happens a lot <laughs> yeah that happens that happens a lot i mean uh, yeah it's difficult to to avoid the 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 accent it's it's so similar we we're so similar to south it's to australians and new zealand people we're very um there's a big conflict for us when it comes to sports because we're very competitive with each other but we're mm -hmm. very similar people yeah you know i i um i we were joking even before the podcast that uh you know you, you were talking about your accent and i said i think a lot of americans are drawn to accents most accents you know they're like oh this is you know you're from somewhere interesting yeah <laughs> and then they yeah, say the sorry. wrong place yeah um well you know this is new <laughs> <laughs> but you know you were talking about the trial and error piece and i do think that sometimes too for for younger generations like my generation we can look at people who have you know, they've spent a long time getting to where they are and they've worked really hard and they've dealt with a lot of failure. But, you know, you look back and you, it, it seems so easy from our vantage point because we didn't live it and we didn't see all the all the struggles and all the challenges. But for you, like when you first started guiding and you got into it and you weren't afraid of hard work, but you weren't afraid of failure, what were some of those kind of lessons that you felt like failure taught you? Um. You know that I mean, I, I think the first thing that's the most important of that failure is to uh, to accept that I that I that I can't do everything. Which if if you if you think in fishing you know it all, then you've already lost the plot. And then you can maybe try and find mm. something else to do because you. I mean, like we always say, you you learn something new every single day um, when you're out on the water. Um, David had this coolest video yesterday of a top and knocking itself out. I don't mm -hmm. know if you saw that, but like that's again something. And I mean, he's an OG 
tarpon guy that mm-hmm. that sees something new that's just absolutely amazing so um i think that that's the very important thing and um i think uh through like for the the important thing for me about the whole guiding thing is is was to be good at it was to start learning water like my the first thing when i started guiding in mongolia that uh dan vermilion said to me he said like Man, you're probably gonna be like, because they they like put you right into the deep end guiding, which I don't mm-hmm. I don't mind. Um, he he said to me, it's not gonna be about like uh becoming like b- being a really great guide right from the beginning. It's gonna be able to how you get yourself out of mistakes without the clients knowing it. So I mean, you'd fish a pocket <laughs> that has absolutely zero fish in it, but mm. you think it looks fishy, um, and you fish the clients through it, and you're like, oh damn, I pro- probably made a mistake. But you be like, you work your way out of this mistake. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. I mean, you, you, you sometimes, I mean, not, I mean, not the, the clients, I mean, the clients obviously can't really be upset with us. I mean, like, again, like I said, we can't, we can't, if, if I knew exactly where every fish was, I'm going to mm-hmm. take you to the best spots that I possibly think. But I, I mean, if I, if I knew exactly where they were, then, then I'd be very, very rich. But, uh, um, so yeah, all that all that stuff and just and just I I took more pride in my work than coming down to than than when it comes down to paychecks or tips. Like it mm-hmm. was more important for me to be like great guide than actually getting that paycheck at the end of the day. And that was for a very long time. I mean, mm-hmm. once you start becoming a little bit older, you've got responsibilities, you've got a mortgage, um, you've got all the stuff, and and I mean that's just part of growing up. But it was just important for me to be good at it, and uh, there was constantly like like lessons learned and a lot of the places that we were guiding at wasn't like i mean they were they were pretty exotic so it's not a place that gets fished every day where you can learn them in that particular manner like i um okay i like using mongolia as an example what i would do is is i would try and figure out this method where i could get the guys i go down with a boat i would i would park at a specific spot i'd wade fish them a spot where i would think i want to fish with a boat but at least while they wade fishing i can scope out where all the like logs are and where the potential places are for the fish to be um and i mean that worked out really really great for Mm -hmm. me i did really awesome in that first season and then and then you just kind of build up confidence slowly as it as go, goes on from there um and again like i think all those specific uh things that were or is important to us about being actually just good on the water and putting your money where your mouth is is like um a lot of the people building careers are building careers off of purely social media and building themselves up that way i would rather want to be known as the guy that was hot on the water in somebody that had some great Instagram photos, mm. um, that that that's kind of what I think. And and all my peers and people that I look up to and they're very like-minded people, I think have that same kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people. I think the great thing that you guys are doing with with this with this podcast and stuff is is talking. Like again, it's it's people that I I would share a a, a skiff with or a piece of water with or just go and have a beer with every single day of my life because mm-hmm. I look up to them and I think they 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 work hard at what they do. Yeah, and and I've definitely seen you had talked about not being money motivated, and it, it's interesting because I think the younger generation is more. It, it's not even the money; it's the it's the attention. They want attention. So whether that's social media or whether that's the way they feel if they get some sort of ambassador or you know pro staff, everybody j- jokes about that. But I think there's something underneath the surface that's that's kind of sad. That is, you know, before you know it it's about something other than the fish. And I think, you know, just truthfully, it's hard even for, um, any of us to myself included, I, I struggle with that to try to say, you got to drown all of that out. And to go back, even to what you were talking about when you were a kid and being in the outdoors was a way to escape and experience something very quickly, you know, people are worried, you know, am I getting enough likes on social media? Do I have companies yeah. making me look legit? No, exa- exactly. And I feel like I like I, I, I was thinking about this last night too, just, you know, you get into this wormhole of social media or whatever you're watching YouTube videos, whatever it may be. But I, I feel like I get so uh, uh, it's counterproductive when it comes to a hard day's work. Like I, mm-hmm. I, if I find myself like scrolling and it it's weird, like social media, it's very seldom that it kind of puts you in a really good frame of mind. If I, if I watch other people's fishing videos, that gets me stoked up. But um, like, like it takes away a lot of your product productivity during a day. So mm-hmm. that's why I, I always said like, I mean, I've been fortunate also to do some films that that's been doing reasonably well and that people enjoy. But um, at the end of the day, for me, the 
the best best place i could be on every single day um is being on the water guiding people mm -hmm. like it's 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 not a it's not a e it's not an easy job um you can have some really hard days where you're just like on the struggle bus and it just feels like you can't get yourself out of it and you mm -hmm. just want your clients to catch fish um but uh but i like it's just such a wholesome day um mm -hmm. and i and i get back and i don't care like it's it's just awesome. It's, and you don't care about picking your phone up doing this or that. I'll, I'll sometimes do these little Instagram stories of a days when I'm out guiding. Um, and uh, and people seem to enjoy that when they actually can't be on the water where they have to be at the office. But mm -hmm. that's kind of it. Otherwise, I'm just solely focused on what's happening on the flats. And it's, it's, it's weird. Like your day goes pretty quick. I mean, it's because you've not been thinking about other problems in the world and all that stuff. It's just It's just such a great place to be. Yeah, I, I agree completely with um, something you said earlier that, that I was thinking about. You were talking about at one point in your life, you would do three months guiding somewhere and three months guiding somewhere, three months guiding somewhere. And for you, what led you to just keep wanting to explore and go to new places? Um, it's it's definitely, I think the, the first thing is, is I... I you know, I've I've known a lot of guides that that are really absolutely amazing guides, but because they were guiding kind of very one specific area, they kind of burnt themselves a bit. Um, you got get a little bit stale on on what moves you're going to do that day. Um, I think the the seeing new places was very important for me, um, and then just the challenge of trying to understand a new piece of water. Um, I mean, that just keeps you so fresh. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it keeps you on your toes, um, and um, I mean, I, it, it makes you understand all the, so my Atlantic salmon fishing, uh, guiding or gu guiding helped me. Uh, so I was guiding for tiger fish also before in Africa. Um, when I started guiding for time in Mongolia, it was something completely foreign to me, but I quickly realized that they sort of like this combination of Atlantic salmon and tiger fish where they predatory and you where they lie and all the kind of stuff where you kind of just mesh all that stuff together and just using all your different experience and um i mean it's it's hard it's definitely hard to beat uh trying to figure something out like new and the i mean there's highs and lows i i again this is other, other thing we always just see the success stories and the videos of that stuff 90 percent mm -hmm. is failure um when we were doing that siberia film we we probably had a total of like three days absolutely crazy fishing but we went for like a total of 18 days so wow. i mean that we were fishing places that when you pick up a mammoth tusk next to a bank you know nobody's been fishing there mm. and that's and and still like they weren't fish and we couldn't understand it um the fish were moving differently it was like uh, why aren't they here it was like it, it's crazy but that moment that you get that fish it doesn't matter even what size it is it is the most rewarding thing um re rewarding thing to do that I, I mean it's getting less and less with the way the p places people are traveling to now but there's still a few few gems out there it's uh maybe not the safest places to go to but there's definitely some places i still have really high on my bucket list mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's something you know for a lot of people who are familiar with you they're familiar with your travel films and i'd love just to hear about how, where that kind of came into things where you went from guiding to also starting to produce and and make films um i think also again that whole um i i'm trying to figure out so so i think the first time i got really excited about fishing films i always watched every single tv fishing show that there was on tv when when we had it available like, i mean growing up in south africa we didn't really have as much espn and all that kind of stuff but we have a couple of local fishing shows i watched binge watched all of those um but there was a there was the first i was actually in the uk um at that stage and i watched the first drake film awards and these guys were using super cool music with to these like really cool fishing trips and stuff and i think the one that was kind of like the 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 real original one for me was uh, running down the man from feltsol where it was just a cool thing it wasn't easy fishing the whole story was molded together um so as soon as i got the guiding job um i very quickly wanted to start taking nice photos for my clients because mm -hmm. Every single moment that we spend out on the water is never, ever going to be the same. Like if I catch a GT today, we can catch another 5,000 in the next couple of years, but none one of them is going to be the same as the one that, that just happened right now. Um, so 
So, and I saw that the clients really appreciate you taking the, the time of taking good photos of these memories, which they might only do a once in a lifetime. Um, and then that involved the, the thing that I was really lucky with, um, again, just that was luck and just wanting to work hard was when I noticed that I enjoy motion and, and seeing the videos and their moments play out in, instead of photos. I mean, I love photos, but, but the video stuff was where, where it's at. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then I started taking some videos when I was guiding, um, I would notice, okay, we're having an epic session. My clients are comfortable. I can just lean back and just get the camera ready, still help them with every like fish coming in, but I can have the camera rolling. And then, um, I managed to put a few cool things together. I actually first film I made was like a Norway one in Norway where I could, where it was a little bit easier for me to film. Um, but that was just very, very amateur. I don't even think I put any of that stuff out. Then I did <laughs> one in the Seychelles. Um, I started editing one, um, you know, like there was this BBC thing about the GTs eating the birds. Mm -hmm. So originally when we kind of found that, um, it was around an island called Goulette at Farquhar Island. Um, Luckily enough, I had my camera ready with me, but it was the super amateur cameras and stuff that I had that ready. And I didn't actually really focus on that, but it was insane watching all that stuff go down. But the GT fishing that season was incredible. So um, I just started like capturing more and more GT stuff and I put a little film together. I'm not sure what happened. I think I had it in a South African little filming competition and it it won and somehow i think potentially uh, tom by from the drake saw that and he asked me if i could do a, a edit of gangsters of the flat for the drake film awards and i was like of course definitely i've been looking at the drake awards forever so but what was happening when he asked me that i was guiding in in norway and guiding in norway is a is especially in june july is 18 hours a day i mean i, I was the only guide on the bank You've got like eight clients to look after. Um, you're not sleeping because it, it's just like, it, I mean, you, you learn how to sleep standing up or walking between clients. So, wow. um, but I said to him like, sure, I'll do it. Um, and then I found these little gaps, like when the clients were maybe having lunch, I'd go and edit a little bit and kept editing. And that's kind of how Gangster of the Flat 2 was, came out. And um, I didn't even know about it until later on. Uh, Tom said like people enjoyed that a lot, and you won an award, a Drake Award for it. I was like, man, that's that's awesome. I wish I was there. Apparently, people like standing <laughs> on tables, super fired up about GTs, um, and then it kind of just progressed from there. Um, and you know, like as you you you've you've got such a like it was nice to like expose people to what those fish are. Um, but uh you know like then it kept on i'm trying to film like all these cool places to show people what's out there um but then again like some people some things that people don't see would be like some of the hate that i get from like exposing places and like how are you just doing all this so there's, there's always going to be that kind of stuff but my mm -hmm. for me it was just about uh, showing people some of the stuff that's out there and everybody says like yo no i'll never be able to afford to go to the seychelles or this or that what they need to understand, like something, somebody in my position would have also never afforded to go to the Seychelles, but I worked my ass off and mm. I ended up guiding there. And that's how I ended up hosting trips and actually being able to fish those areas. And that's places all around the world. I can't afford it, um, but I'm, I'm working hard to, to make it happen. And uh, these videos are just to create that dream and to show people what's out there to potentially go and accomplish that dream and go fish those places. And that's purely what it's about. Mm. Yeah. Is there a, a film for you that is maybe stands out as being more meaningful than the others? Um, I, uh, you know, like Gangster of the Flat had such a, like a, like an impact, but I, I think that that the, the chaoticness of it, um, hmm. like my stuff, I still would tell a lot of people, I'm happy to admit it, that I'm not a professional videographer or editor and I'm putting a lot of that stuff. I've got some friends that help me film it from time to time. That's that knows how to work camera, but um you know it's very unprofessional but i think some people enjoy the rawness and the reality of some of the stuff because mm -hmm. I, I don't go into a, a filming project with a storyline um or, all that kind of stuff it kind of just plays itself out i think um you know after the gangs of the flat i did the one called aqua hulk which is about bumphead parrotfish just introducing people to that and i did like a couple of we did the siberia thing um i think the last one i did i personally enjoyed the most glorious bastards which was in australia mm -hmm. and probably still to me one of the coolest fisheries on the planet um australia is just also still one of those next frontiers that not a lot of people are fishing yet enough mm -hmm. it's it's really awesome um i think that was the most 
kind of professionally put together one with a tad bit of a storyline and um but i think the best if i think the best um moment out of all of them sorry i'm sort of drawing off this but the the two mo i'd have to say two moments the one was that time and eating the fly which was something that i don't think would be could be redone again the way mm. that that was done in the the, the siberia film mm-hmm. um it was just just a, again it happened we had the drone up in the air and keith was just doing solid work and we found the fish and it was all that kind of stuff and it just managed to eat the fly exactly the way we wanted to which never pans out that way <laughs> yeah um and then the other moment was um and it's not that significant in the film but there was a moment where i i, I actually touched the sawfish tail what there was just chilling on the sand flat in australia um, which was something I would never forget. Growing up fishing for sharks, um, that was something I would probably never think that I would experience, but just being in a moment where I could touch, like, a, I don't even know how big that thing was. It was absolutely ginormous. Um, and we just found him cruising around on the flat. He laid still. Wow. Um, Christian put the camera up. I walked the drone up. I walked around, just grabbed its tail and just pulled him a little bit, and he just kind of swam off. It was insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow those moments but there's a lot of moments there's probably 50 60 percent of the moments that actually never get recorded that's even more insane than the ones that get on film Mm -hmm. and you had mentioned that some people you know that you've received criticism what's your your response when you when people criticize you for saying you're just you're burning spots or you're just trying to make yourself look good or cool what do you what do you tell them uh, I mean, I try and explain to them because because a lot of the times it's people getting pretty aggressive also with exposing and they would assume some way I'm a trust fund baby that's just doing all this stuff, which angers them even more. But again, just I, I would usually just even ask those people, even if it's like a, just a short jab message that they just send to me or put on a like a comment or something, I would usually just tell those people, look, I mean, um, I'm happy to jump on a call. We can talk about this. You can get to know me. You can understand where I'm coming from. Um, none of this that I'm that I'm doing with regards to filming is to burn anything. Um, it's just purely to keep growing the sport of fly fishing and just mm-hmm. showing people what what's out there, um, and just kind of explain it to them in that way. Um, whether or not they still hate it, it's it's okay. There's nothing really I can do about it. But it's definitely never coming from a from a malicious point of view. I I mm-hmm. I, I mean I'm busy with a film now that uh, that I'm very excited about that I'm probably think is going to be one of the most insane ones yet. Mm-hmm. Um, doing it with great people. Um, but there's going to be people that's going to be upset about it. It's, um, I mean, it's a movie that we're doing on jacks, um, and some of the stuff is just going to be absolutely mind blowing. But it's, uh, it's about again emphasizing to people. Um, again, I, I think I've done a lot of very crazy international stuff, but and 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 for the people that that complain that they can't go to the Seychelles or those places, they've got jacks on the front on their doorstep, mm-hmm. and I've been guiding the coast now for three years and it's still my one of my bread and butter fish to fish for like it's it's awesome they feed like a gt they do everything like a gt but for some reason people just think they trash fish and just hate on them i i just it blows my mind mm-hmm. no no i think that's a, a good answer and i mean you, you know i think everybody has this point in their life especially people who make content when you just realize you're not going to make everybody happy you know yeah and uh, you try to be kind or you try to, you know, have real conversations or, or even like, I know for me, I'm, I'm very young in it, but uh, you know, if there's a genuine concern, I, I, then I like to, to actually try to grow from it if there's something I can learn. But some people, you know, they're, they're just going to be negative no matter what you do. And, and I think you probably most of the time, I've just see it as people that are, are if, if at all people are, are going to be upset about all that stuff or, 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 or hate some of the stuff or, or have bad things to say, you, you, usually those people are people that probably, in, I don't want to sound arrogant, but probably hasn't as achieved as much as you have. So um, what the, it, it, I, I don't think you'll ever, somebody that's really doing well and working hard and doing some amazing stuff will never, never criticize somebody that's, below them mm-hmm. um so so i think it's 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 usually coming from people that maybe be a little bit upset i mean mm-hmm. maybe they they just really feel they can't can't accomplish these things but that's their own mindset honestly like i i i i the one thing i do on social media is i try and find a f- follow a lot of very inspirational people that it, not necessarily just in fishing 
because uh, some of my most inspirational people in fly fishing are not even on social media but um the 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 i like follow people that are super high work ethics very motivated people and i, th mm -hmm. I find that usually the most refreshing thing that gets you stoked up i mean somebody like dwayne johnson that dude like i mean I, I don't even know a person in the world that's got a work ethic like that person um like that stuff just gets me motivated to to get off my ass and do something mm. yeah that's that's good if, if it's okay with you i'd love to transition just to some of my rapid fire questions if if that's cool with you sure. yeah so I know that you you love jack fishing and you just talked about it a few moments ago, but I'd love just to hear about um, just kind of some, without giving away too much dark magic, uh, just some general approaches <laughs> that you try to take when when getting your clients on great jack fishing trips. Um, so, so definitely when it comes to jack fishing, I try and prepare them beforehand on what's going to happen, which is usually like 10% of that goes to their mind and once once the <laughs> once the the shit hits the fan it 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 all goes away but um you know i try and explain to the clients when we get into this moment it's going to be chaotic um you need to remember like the the the, the key elements about like just getting the fly in the zone or just just in there somewhere stripping the fly as fast as possible and setting the hook with the line forget trout striking all that you know that's just the abcs that's mm -hmm. just the like just keep emphasizing that to them um and just keep just reminding that uh, that to them once you get in that moment i usually feel like it's all lost like i mean you you see like 100 200 jacks in front of you absolutely mole bait fish into your boat and it's just absolutely that chaotic moment i've i know i've had moments where i wouldn't say shout i try and be a pretty calm guide um i feel like the client's putting enough pressure on himself to make it happen. Most clients. Mm -hmm. So I I try and be calm and collected, but I have shouted at a client just to get the fly out of the boat. And if the fly lands in the water, it'll be eaten. But he couldn't land the he couldn't get the fly out of the skiff. I don't know how it happened, but <laughs> anyway. I'll show um, you later. <laughs> <laughs> it, I was like, sometimes your mind just gets blown. Yeah. But, uh, and then, um, you know, I I... I so just also just a quick rundown of how I approach my personal guiding with clients is, is that I don't put any clients into a position where I feel I could make the cost in a personal capacity. I don't guide clients into fish that I could catch. I guide clients into fish that they could catch. So I would approach the boat in a specific way. Like clients don't even realize it, but I would turn a boat in a specific way, turn um, whether it be, I mean, whichever way, but I would turn it into the strongest side that he can maybe do like a, like this width or that width, you know, like all, all that stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm guiding that client in his mm -hmm. capacity. Um, even if he can only cost 10 feet, I'll do, I'll maybe run around the jacks. The one, the one important thing that I've seen a lot of guys do on the coast is they'll run over the jacks. You know, the, you can run over those jacks only a specific amount of time until they go like, this sucks, I'm going to bail. And then they leave. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just keep staying around the edges of them, you can keep picking those jacks off as, as for a very, very long period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would run around the edges and, um, how can I say it? I mean, I, I try and also one thing because where we fish for the jack, there's a lot of current. So I would always also try and get the client, like with most guys, try and get the downwind cast. Um, but I'd also swing the boat. So what happens a lot of the times too, I've seen the guides do is they just float on top of the line. So I would always make sure when the boat still swings, when I've got the motor out in, in uh, well, when I've switched the motor off, um, that they don't have to uh, catch up stripping the line that mm -hmm. when they strip the line, it's immediately tight. And I think that's almost the 100% key is just to uh, not approach it where the client still needs to strip in 10 feet of line before he gets connected to his fly. If you can land the fly and there's immediate tension on it, it's a jackpot most of the time. I mean, those, those fish just want to see something move so they can kill it. It's awesome. <laughs> and yeah. the one thing about jacks is they are that the one thing that's beautiful about them is they're all pretty damn forgiving. I mean, if they miss the fly once, they'll go out at a second. They they want to they want to have something, kill mm -hmm. it, whatever they might want to do with it. So it's it's a forgiving but awesome fish. But then mm. the trout strikes a killer for that. I I also don't think a lot of people fathom when it comes to saltwater fish on how like particularly jacks and GTs on how I I now just tell the client to rip its face off because you won't strike you won't hit that thing hard enough. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's very helpful. And if if somebody's wanting to uh, plan a GT trip, what advice would you give them? Um, I I think uh, definitely if it's going to be a once in a lifetime trip, um, 
don't necessarily get too like I've I see a lot of clients that want to book a trip and they they want to just they so amped to get out there immediately like within the next several months but um, try and look at your moon phases and tides you know it's not always like I, I've had I've had some exceptional GT fishing um, in the Seychelles on 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 like neap tides half moon just like something that you wouldn't really expect them on but uh, um, but try and get your bigger moving tides those predatory fish the GTs love it when there's a lot of water moving they can they can actually um, when the when the water's ripping off the flats they can wait at specific spots for all those bait fish to get ripped off and they just get a little bit more riled up um so so definitely try and figure out what the the moon phases and the tides and that stuff stuff are mm-hmm. um and then you can kind of take it from there and in the seychelles is so desirable at the moment i'm, I'm trying to find the right tides for 2024 mm-hmm. so it's 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 crazy how popular those are i, th- I would say probably that's key and then the other thing is is that don't spend all that money and just go with the most budget equipment ever be prepared to go to war like we from from the very first time in the seychelles when we were guiding people were getting so offended because these clients would bring all the tackle that they think is the best in the world and we start ripping reels to shreds we'd rip off the fly lines rechange the knots put on heavy leaders change everything and they just like get very offended by it but we are prepping those things not because you can easily catch like a 50 to 60 pound GT on whatever tackle you may have. But when we're talking about 120 plus uh, GTs, that's a different story. It's a different animal. I mean, you, you, I, I always say like you land those big fish just by pure luck. It's not by the fish made a bad decision. It's not, he, if he, tr- if he wanted to trash you, he could trash you. Like mm. it's just one of those things, but yeah, definitely look at the tides. And then every, the one thing that people also a lot of time forget doing those trips is just do your, do your homework on location and be fit. Um, it, it, un, un, for, you, you would add so much more value on your trip fishing for GTs. It doesn't matter if it's the capital of the world like the Seychelles for GTs. If you are fit and you're willing to walk a little bit extra or you can run after a fish because the fish is not going to wait for you um, when it's coming down a specific line. You've got to move and you've got to move quickly and you're going to want it. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets lost a lot. Unfortunately, I am guilty of it that I've made films where it looks easy gt fishing is not always easy you gotta want it Mm -hmm. no that's that's a that's really helpful what what um you know you've a lot of you you talked about even as a kid you would target large fish and then obviously now a lot of the fish that that you target are large hard fighting fish what advice would you give or how how do you try to help your clients when they're hooked up to something that is you know you said the phrase going to war they're they're really going to war with that fish um, so I, I think a lot of people don't understand the strength of fly fly fishing equipment, um, especially if you've got it rigged up correctly. Um, that's that's something. I mean, we, I get laughed at on the coast so many times, especially Texas, where people are seeing like joking with us where we're catching all these big fish with fly poles. Um, but uh, you know, if you've got your gear rigged up correctly, you can you can really hammer down on that fish. Um, the funny thing is, is that I, what I've noticed with the jacks, if I can take a jack for example, is is that um, I uh, th- they do one long run, um, and then and then I sometimes feel like the, if you if you give an overwhelming amount of pressure that right from the beginning they put that pressure back. So sometimes I, I ease up a little bit on them, get on top of them, and then I grind them, almost like the guys do with top and I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, um, or, or that specific technique, and then the the key with those bigger fish. Like I said again, they they a lot of the times the really big ones have to make a mistake of their own because um, they could either go around a coral head or they can absolutely spool you. But uh, if um, if if you can break its spirit, that's the main thing that we've we've sort of seen. A sp- this is more along the lines with GTs. If we can break a spirit, if you can put one hundred percent pressure on that fish from the get go, you can stop him where you can realize like the fish realize like Shit, I'm not getting out of this situation. Mm-hmm. But if he gets a, 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 a whiff of anything, it's it's over. Mm-hmm. I mean, if like a, a a good example too is is like a, a people saw that uh, I don't know if you guys saw like I, I got a pretty big arapaima. It was like it was just short of eight foot or 322 mm-hmm. pounds on a fly rod. Not necessarily that they do these explosive saltwater runs, but I mean, we landed that fish within 10, 15 minutes just because I mean, it was just 100% right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as, when a client's on with a fish for a 
prolonged period of time i just always want especially towards the end people lose i mean this is even a lot of people say i've fought that fish for 40 minutes a lot i don't think a lot of people realize how long a 40 minute fight is but uh i see a lot of people after like even a half an hour they start losing concentration and they start getting tired and they want to start like they make mistakes so um you just gotta that's where the fitness also comes in you mm -hmm. add so much more value to being fit fishing for all these these fish yeah, I think that's really helpful. And you talked about making sure that, you know, your gear's rigged up the right way. What are like the main mistakes that you see them people making when it comes to either purchasing or rigging gear? The the one main one that I've seen that's cost the, the most amount of fish, you know, apart from the actual like the reel and the rod and that stuff, but winding on backing too soft. So we from right from the get go, even when I was working in a fly shop, I would like put that backing on rock solid so what happens with very big fish running long distances if 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 you put the brakes on them pretty hard then that and the backing's not on tight that that backing's going to cut straight into it it's just going to stop dead still and then it's all just going to break break loose so i've seen backing just for the most part just being put on very soft mm -hmm. um but yeah just make sure you get that backing on pretty tight and then um like i know I know there's a lot of guys, especially when it comes to to tarpon fishing, that uh, uh, my favorite way of 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 tying on fly lines and is still loop to loop. So we'd have the Bermany with the with like I quadruple that not the the loops, um, so that it tapers out, and uh, we still use the um, the braided or the Kevlar loops um, in the front and back of the lines. Unfortunately, you know the the fly line companies have done some amazing stuff with the welded loops. But um, I've still lost a ton of fish of those loops popping, um, popping open. So we just put those welded loops with that, uh, you know, like the um, uh, with the two nail knots that just kind of cinch down, and it it seems to definitely be the best way for us um, mm -hmm. uh, fishing for that. And, and a lot of these the the ways that we rig up our tackle is more. Um, I think if you're fighting a big fish from a boat, you can maybe get away with certain stuff because you can follow them. But if if you on your if you on standing on a sand flat and you hooked up to 120 pound GT, it's not uh, you you have to stop it with a tackle. You can't chase it down as mm -hmm. easily with a boat as you could with other fish, um, especially if you're starting off. That that one GT on gangsters the flat bef uh, that ate the fly like right in front of the client that was a giant and mm -hmm. it spooled him before i even got to my boat which was like <laughs> it was 100 yards not even 100 it was like it's 80 yards away from us mm -hmm. um so yeah that those those things are key and then like i said the reels especially with big fish the reels are so important to have a smooth drag system and be able to handle salt water there's some great reel companies that um Unfortunately, the reels, especially when they do the mechanical uh, drag systems, it's they call it sealed drag systems. But most of them are not sealed. When when we get those reels in the Seychelles and we give them the first saltwater dunk and they fight a fight to fish, the startup inertia on the reel, it kills us too. Um, so sometimes I prefer the less complicated drag system. I mean, I I'm fortunate enough to use Mako's, which is well renowned for insane saltwater reels. But then you get ones like like Shilton, which is the cork drag system it's amazing very simplistic you can work on them on any place in the world if you need to so um that that stuff's pretty important yeah yeah that's all that's all really helpful um i got a couple uh fun ones for you too if we could have a little bit of fun um <laughs> yeah one of the things you know when i think of south africa you see a lot of stuff about great whites and people swimming with great whites have you ever swam with a great white um so so i haven't personally like gone in and swam with them my wife's gone uh, shark cage diving i have not but i so one thing that um you know it's, uh, great whites are a protected species in in south africa i presume all over the world but uh we actually when we were shark fishing off the beaches we would actually catch quite a few of them um in between especially in jeffrey's bay which is a very popular place for for um for great white sharks to be around so mm -hmm. i mean not saying i mean i hooked so many sharks that completely just trashed me um especially great whites you just hook them and they head for the sunrise and you'll never see them again but then we'd have those like from 100 to 200 like sometimes like 300 pound great whites that we managed to land from the surf but it's a pretty insane shark just to see just be up it's they, they just have this this whole aura about them that that kind of still makes them scary mm -hmm. um 
So, but uh, yeah, I've been su- super lucky to grow up around all those sharks. I'm pretty comfortable with sharks around. Yeah, they're, um, one of my daughters is fascinated with sharks and she has tons of shark books. And they're, I mean, they're just an apex predator. You know, they've definitely, I feel like, have, we've put a lot of fear from a human standpoint around them, but they're just, I've never um, landed a great white, you know, because I didn't have that opportunity. But I think a lot of people have like a fascination with the shark just because of what they've seen and read and, um, you know, experience. But with yeah, um, def- oh, definitely. And, and, you know, like I've, I've, I've had clients in the Seychelles that, um, that I mean, when I'm saying like it's the, it's like a, the fear in their eyes when they even see like a five foot black tip, like <laughs> it, I, could, I can't fathom it. I've had a guy jump on my back riding me like Zorro to get away from a shark. <laughs> like, just complete fear and just he, he, like you would think that he this is it he's he's dying mm-hmm. like and then yeah you get guys that's chilled and usually it's the guys with the most fear that those sharks always buzz them yeah like it's the it's it's kind of we joke and we get we we, we have a laugh about it the client's in complete panic but they, they always buzz the client that doesn't mm-hmm. like sharks yeah i <laughs> well it's funny you said black tip that's my favorite shark we um i actually have a gt plug that a buddy sent me and I've caught black tip sharks full body breach out of the water on a top water Damn, GT plug. Yeah, it's amazing. And then they'll be like three feet, you know, not not like a huge shark, but I mean, it'll test your gear. And um, I think those are great fish. It, see, and again, it's that visual. St- I mean, it's it's all that stuff that I'm learning now from all the fisheries around the US, which is like, like, you know, I, I learned this one, whatever it may be, like what you what you were doing with the black tip sharks. It's something that, I mean, every South African or any any fly fisherman internationally I know would, would do anything to, to fish f- for something like that. And this is like people just kind of, I wouldn't say everybody, obviously there's, there's guys doing it, but it's still so overlooked. I'm still mm-hmm. usually so surprised by why it doesn't get more. Uh, maybe guys are trying to just keep a little bit of a secret so it doesn't get overpressured, but I mean, there's so many cool opportunities here. I, I I would also fish for those black tips all day long. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, we can. We, we should we should set some of that up whenever whenever you're over here again. But um, yeah. Well, yeah. My, my last uh, my last question is, um, you know, if if you could go back and talk to yourself, go on a walk with yourself in that that beach that you were talking about that that you kind of would reminisce on, what advice would you give to to you at the very beginning of this career? Um, gee, that's, that's a tough one. Cause I, I, I've, I've been pretty hard headed about trying to accomplish everything that I've, that I've put my, my head to, um, uh, gee, that's a thing. Cause you know, like I'm, I'm always trying to like give other guides when they, when they starting off a specific advice, like just, just purely out of the point of just being more responsible with their, with their money and, and all that kind of stuff and just keep on working and keep yourself busy and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, um, I mean, I, yours, that's, that's, that's a very difficult question. Um, I'm trying to think now. I mean, like, like I said, I've been so fortunate on to really accomplishing a lot of the goals that I, that I had set out at the Mm. stage. I've got a lot more goals that I want to set, set myself now. Um, uh, I would definitely, the one thing that I would probably, um, want to do a little bit more now and only after having not uh, having not done it for doing it for a while is I would would really love to spend a little bit more time with because because I mean I traveled obviously a lot so definitely spend a little bit less time with my wife and my parents mm-hmm. um, um, and and my family so I mean I definitely would would wanted to have some time mm-hmm. um, to spend more to fish with my dad or spend with my with the rest of my family mm-hmm. um, that's something that I wish that they that I could definitely because the 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 way the way, the reason why I had so much appreciation because we had our parents come and visit us um, two years back and I took my dad out fishing for well, luckily the jacks won fire so I took him out jack fishing and it was such a cool moment it was so 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 awesome mm-hmm. um, so definitely definitely appreciate the smaller smaller things in life yeah. I I do think if I did give myself advice a little bit more is because. Um, at one stage, I was there was such a roller coaster of different places that I was seeing, and uh, I do think that I didn't appreciate as much of it at 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 that specific point. Like, I mean, when 
when you walk into Cosmolita and you see 373 Jeets first week, you, you mm -hmm. become a little bit numb. Like it's just like what just happened. Like if mm -hmm. you could just like soak it up a little bit more or um, – um, I'm definitely learning a lot more about the whole process of traveling to the different places, appreciating the places itself too. You can get, I think all of us can get, well, most of us can get very caught up into just the fishing moments, like just, just mm -hmm. all the, all the craziness, um, but not appreciate that as cliche as it might sound is the journey that mm -hmm. leads, leads up to all that stuff. I definitely need to I, I i can tell you now like i've now that i'm guiding uh, like on the texas coast not that all these places are absolutely amazing but i've now realized like how insane the seychelles and some of the places mm -hmm. i've been to are it's just it's just insane hmm. i think that's gr that's great advice man I'm, I'm so grateful for being able to sit down with you today and and learn a little bit about your story we were talking before the podcast that an hour is never really enough to scratch the surface, <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed our time together. So thanks so much for making time today. Awesome, thanks so much, Hunter. Yeah, you, we, we can go on for hours and hours. I, I, I really get fired up. This gets me juiced up. I wanna go fishing right now. <laughs> well, thanks again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy This Is The Captain's Collective.